What a day, what a day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two of the show. JT brought to you by Woodson Whiskey. Whenever I say that, you know it's Charles Woodson, one of the all-time greats, the Hall of Famer and Raiders icon, built this legend on the gridiron. Now he's taken the same dedication to his new craft, Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. It's finished in the same wine barrels that Charles makes his wine, which gives it a spicy caramel finish. I love Charles's wine, and I love his whiskey even more. Go to WoodsonWhiskey.com to find a store near you that carries it. And remember, whenever you go to a store, grocery store, bar, restaurant, ask for it. Where is it? Ask for it. That helps Charles build this iconic brand. If it wasn't your game day whiskey already, it is now Woodson Bourbon Whiskey. Uh, number 702-365-9200. It's, uh, we're heading into the bye week. So if you got an opinion on the Eagles, let it fly. Are you concerned about this game at all? Well, Vegas is looking at this. It's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be an interesting game here because when the Raiders are a favorite, a lot of people don't believe in the Raiders as a favorite with them giving points to another team. Historically, take a look and tell me what you see on that. In this game, the Raiders are not as big of a favorite as I thought they would be. I think a little of that has to do with them coming off an emotional high in a game that they had to win. Right, brand new coach, what happened the week before. And the Raiders opened up a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Now it's three. Well, you get three for playing at home. You get three for playing at home. So why is this a pick game? Any gambler want to explain this to me? Why are the Raiders only a three-point favorite at home against the Eagles team that's two and four? Bueller? Bueller? Anybody? So I would assume there's going to be some Raider support here at three that drives us to three and a half on game day. I would think there'd be a lot of 20s, just little 20s floating in on the Raiders for the rest of the week. And everybody's saying, I got 100 on the Raiders. There's no way the Raiders can't cover this spread at home beating Denver going into the bye week. And Philadelphia played Tampa Bay hard in that fourth quarter. Got a lot of respect with the way they played Tom Brady. Remember Tom Brady played the Raiders last year. How'd that work out? He combined for five touchdowns, four in the air, one on the ground. Well, they just played Tom Brady uh, Brady pretty tough. Brady uh, didn't score 30 points in that game. So I'm surprised by this. I think the game will go off Raiders minus three and a half, Raiders minus four. If there's some value here in this game, total on the game, I think it's about right at 49. But if you're a gambler, how are you not betting that right now? 702-365-9200 as we take a look at the moving lines. Last night, as you know, I do a nighttime show for now, late at night. Not late at night. 7 o'clock's not late, right? I come, on, I come on an hour and a half before Jimmy Kimmel at 11.30 when I'm done. I end at 10 o'clock at night, and last night I was watching and talking about the Tennessee game. Tennessee is another team. Same record as the Raiders, 4-2. and two. A playoff team, I think we all know Tennessee's a playoff team. And what a game they played at home. There were, more, there were probably 50-50 Buffalo fans. 55-45, maybe Tennessee fans. Buffalo showed up. Their fans were at that game, and it was loud. And then Travis Henry, excuse me, Derek Henry, decided to take over the game, and he was a beast. Gives Henry on the right side. There he goes. 
35, 40, That's 50, it. 40, That's 30, it. 20, 10, 5, end zone. Ladies and gentlemen, 76 yards, touchdown, Titans. Titans radio on the call there. He played great. He's one of the best, greatest running backs of all time. Comparable to Earl Campbell, Eric Dickerson. He is. With the numbers that he has now, the guy is unstoppable. And they're going to ride to him all the way to the playoffs. I had them winning 12 games this year. I had the Raiders winning 10. 12 for Tennessee. And Tennessee's right back on track. But it came down to the fourth down call where Buffalo decided to go win the game on fourth down instead of kicking the field goal, which I don't agree with. I think you win the game. You got Josh Allen, an MVP candidate, on a quarterback sneak. Here's how it sounded. Allen tried to sneak. He got nothing, or so it appeared. They got it! They got it! They did it! They did it! Not yes! Not yes! Hell yes! Titans radio. That, that was a big play there. You know, it was debated today, and I agree with the debate. Josh Allen, if he does not become the MVP this year, I'm not saying one play should do it, but if he was able to score on that play, that really would have helped him with the MVP overall ballot. And I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl this year. My Super Bowl picks Buffalo. I didn't think they'd lose that game. They already lost to Pittsburgh. Ladies and gentlemen, the Raiders have the same record as the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans. Okay? So for those who have tower rankings and had the Raiders buried a couple of weeks ago, Raiders have the same record as the Bills and Titans. I don't know anybody who saw that coming. That is great news. Right here in the national conversation. After the game, Doug McDermott, head coach of Buffalo, had to talk about this and what happened. What happened on this play? Sean McDermott, excuse me, about the chances of what to do on a critical fourth down. Felt good about our chances. I had a chance to win the game right there, and, and we didn't get it done. Yeah, they didn't get it done, but you have to give the coach credit for going for it. There's no way he can't go for that. What does it say to his offense going forward? Now, a lot of gamblers wanted the three there. Because if they were laying six with Buffalo, they get a push with a Buffalo touchdown in overtime. So a lot of gamblers fascinate me because the gamblers always want everybody to go for it. Have you ever met a gambler who's ever said kick the three? Small percentage now, at least not the ones who live on Twitter. Those experts on Twitter, uh, they'll tell you all the time, go for it, go for it, go for it. Well, they went for it and burned him because Josh Allen slipped. Allen talked about it after the game about what happened on that play and not getting proper footing. Didn't work out in our favor, obviously. Didn't have the greatest footing. It happens. Game of, inch, game of inches. You know, the, gate, the, the play before was pretty close, too. Didn't turn out in our favor today. We were 2-5 of five in the red zone. We can't do that uh, against a team like this. You know, last year, could have would us, but at the end of the day, 4-2 and two into the bye week, you know, going back to last year, taking a loss the way we did against Arizona, Hail Mary bye week. Uh, this is a resilient team. I got no doubt that you know we're going to use this to fuel us and uh, be ready to go in two weeks. That is not a good place where they want to be, 4-2 and two into the bye week, Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo thought they'd be a lot better than that. So that's a huge story from today. So, again, if you watched that game last night from a gambling perspective, how did it play out for you? 702-365-9200. Again, we talk Raiders most of the show. I can't make a living talking Raiders every day for two full hours with the NBA, the World Series, the ALCS. What's happening here? These are other topics that we got to talk about here, and I try to bring in the gambling perspective and talk about a few other teams here. It's Raider Nation Radio, but we're running a talk show during NFL season. That was a big bet last night. A lot. Of, hear what Jeff Sherman said last segment. Uh, how's, how's the sports books have been getting crushed? He talked about how bad it was, how bad it would have been for the books. And I root 
for the public, not the books, right? Why would I went out and root for you over the books? But that was a big break for the books here on the strip. Cleveland Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield says he's still preparing to play Thursday night against the Broncos. But he's got a torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. This is a huge story. they got to shut this kid down. He wants to play. So he's saying he can go, but if he takes another big hit, and physically where he is right now, this could blow up their entire year. Quote, it was actually completely torn. Other stuff that was frayed within it, Mayfield said, of the original injury. Quote, with shoulder injuries like that, you try to stabilize it, strengthen the muscles and ligaments around it. When you feel that the stability is there, you can go out and play. Really? I mean, this guy's got a serious shoulder injury, and he wants to go out there and play. Kareem Hunt is also out. Another huge storyline for the Raiders, a team in the AFC that is suffering more injuries than the Raiders are now. So I I like what's happening with the Raiders and where they are with getting healthier, where they are in the standings, who they're playing coming up, and where they are heading into the bye week. A couple of other national stories, a big story out west, Washington State football head coach fired for not being a part of the vaccine mandate. The highest public paid figure in the state is gone, along with most of his coaching staff, Nick Rolovich, and four of his assistants who refused to comply with the mandate. All state employees are gone from Washington State. Okay, so this is going to be the new hero for the anti-vaxxers. He gets the Dummy of the Decade Award for giving up $3 million. bucks. It's a lot of money for not getting a shot in your arm. So if you want to be the face of I'm the guy not getting vaccinated, along with Kyrie Irving, you go be that guy and lose all that money for your family and kids in years to come. Big story out of Pullman, Washington. Uh, we saw this coming a mile away but when he wasn't here for Pac-12 media days, when he wasn't here in Vegas for that because Vegas didn't want him at the time. Crazy, crazy story here. And we get to baseball for all the baseball fans who are out there, especially in this town. I know this is a Dodger town. There's no doubt this is a Dodger town. It'll be the Braves at the Dodgers tonight. Charlie Martin versus Walker Bueller at Dodger Stadium. Atlanta leads that series two games to none. And then the 508 Pacific game, Astros, Red Sox. Astros are going to go with Zach Granke. So desperate move here. They, he hasn't pitched well as of late. This is their last chance as they try to uh, even the series with the Red Sox. So we'll stay on that storyline. And then finally, before we get to some Rich Basaccia sound, the NBA is underway tonight. I'm a big NBA guy. A lot of people have asked me, what's my favorite sport? For years, I'd say NBA. Grew up a diehard Knicks fan. Loved the NBA. Uh, last year, Milwaukee won it all. I like what the Lakers did. I did. I, I like what the Lakers are doing. Carmelo Anthony. Russell Westbrook, I like this team. They're old men. If they get injured, they're out. If they don't get injured every night, I'm going to be sitting on the radio watching an all-star team play. So for an entertainment perspective, I think that's going to be real interesting. Warriors come in tonight. Warriors are going to be better this year than last year. Still no Clay Thompson. That's 7 Pacific on TNT. The earlier game is going to be the Nets at the Bucks. Uh, that's a big storyline because Kyrie Irving is not vaccinated. So he's being asked not to play. He's out until he gets vaccinated. Another guy who's going to lose so much money that he's going to need later in life. He's going to go to the bank, and he's going to be broke. And he's going to need that money, and he's going to say, wow, 
Really? I'm one of the less than 3% guys who aren't vaccinated. He's going to beg for that money, and that money's going to be gone. And it's going to be flushed. It's not going to be like in a 401k for him to do. He's not going to have to sign paperwork to get that money back. It is gone. So, again, as I tie in COVID to sports, sports to COVID, there are still some people out there, a small, tiny, small, minuscule percentage of athletes who don't want to get vaccinated. All the commissioners are vaccinated. All the head coaches are vaccinated. All the assistant coaches are vaccinated. But there's still just a few people that are like, it's not for me. (laughs) Okay, it's not for you. Then start hemorrhaging cash. Did you notice that Cam Newton got vaccinated quietly because his phone's not ringing? Yeah, you noticed that. You notice Andrew Wiggins of the Warriors got vaccinated when he wasn't comfortable with it after 19 months? Because of the money. And the money is the root of this issue now for all the athletes who were there. Uh, Rich Passaccia, quickly, now on the opportunity to win a game, but they got to roll that momentum into Philadelphia that's coming into town this weekend. Yeah, actually, I, I didn't see my family when I got home. I came back to the, the place I'm renting, and, and really for me, it's, I'm, I'm a part of the team, and, and uh, it was obviously a, a, to go on the road to play a, an AFC rival like the Denver Broncos in, in their place and to come out with a win was exciting for all of us and just helps us move forward to onto Philadelphia. I mean, he's a mellow guy, but you could tell intense on game day, got the ear of the entire organization. Basaccia getting his first win, and a couple of good things came out of that game. I really believe that was their best game of the year in all three phases. Not really. Just I, I think we, we looked at what we did. I think if you look at the, you know, to come out with, with turnovers, four turnovers on defense, and then the, I think the field position that was created by the kickoff team, I thought they really played well. And then A.J. had an outstanding day. Certainly the altitude, you know, can play a factor in that. But to come out and have the first drive go down and score and the last drive before the half, to go down and get the points, you know, the big play to Kenyon um, in the corner, and then obviously the, the first play on offense of the of the second half to get points. So I think they came out with a, um, a good plan, a good purpose to them, and um, it gave us a good start in both halves and, and a one, good finish. And one more here quickly is, you know, this defense, we all know this defense is vastly improved with Gus Bradley. They're just lined up better. The term I use all the time, they're lined up better where they're supposed to be. But now they got some stats. They got some interceptions, some sacks, some turnovers, and that's got to build momentum. Yeah, I think that's Coach Marinelli and Coach Bradley. It's constant about not only do the sacks come in bunches, but the turnovers come in bunches. You know, we went a few weeks without a turnover. All of a sudden, we come up in a plus four category, multiple sack uh, game that Max went through, and then the big sack in the fourth quarter by Q was actually big help to us as well. And if you look at the games that they're running, you, you can't discard what Yannick's doing on the outside. He, he takes a lot of attention. So I think it's it's their group. It's Coach Marinelli. It's Coach Bradley. Everything comes in bunches, right? So we um, I think they're just kind of living off of that and feeding off of that. Yeah, keep it coming in bunches. Keep it coming like Remy Martin. The place to be for every Raiders road game is the Remy Martin Lounge inside the Raiders Tavern and Grill at M Resort. Get there two hours before kickoff for the pregame and stay with us after the game for the postgame. For great drink specials and prizes, from Remy Martin, team up for excellence. Paul Gutierrez, Raider Insider from ESPN will join us. He's had a couple of busy, busy weeks. We'll get an update from him, and then we'll look at the Raiders again from a gaming perspective at the bottom of the hour with Pro Football Focus. Uh, we're just doing our job, you know what I mean? Of course, um, we haven't really 
started off great all year, but um, at the end of the day, we get paid to go out there and make those plays, make those, you know, uh, game beginning drives, get in zone, touchdown, obviously field goal, it is what it is, but, um, you know, that's, that's our mantra. So we want to continue to start fast, finish strong. Henry Ruggs III brought to you by BillsHappen.com. Bills happen, so when you need extra cash, go to BillsHappen.com. Paul Gutierrez, kind enough to join us from ESPN. We have him on with Tom Flores every other Tuesday. And, Paul, we haven't touched base in a while. I wanted to ask you just your thoughts today after the Gruden emails, the resignation, the coaching change, and that win in Denver, Mark Davis, all your reporting. Some of the busiest times in your career covering the Raiders, right? Yeah, it's been it's been wild, JT, since the last time we spoke. And I mean, what do we have? We got a week to talk about this. I mean, it, it's been insane, and you know, it's sad, it's tough, it's disheartening, it's frustrating, it's maddening. It's it's every emotion you can feel, and yet you can imagine that what the players and the people in that building feel is times ten, if not times a hundred. So, in terms of just on a personal level, like you mentioned, the reporting and the things that happened over the past week plus for me, I mean. It's been insane. Um, the story that I wrote initially when, when John Gruden resigned as coach, um, overnight that story had over 10 million hits, 10 million hits on ESPN.com. And the last time I had been on television that much to report this story and to get the latest out there, and you know, after talking to John and talking to Mark Davis and getting their signs on things, I mean, I think I was on TV um, the most in, in three days more in three days than I have been in the previous three years. And it goes back to when Antonio Brown blew this thing up. And, and that was, again, another stressful situation. Uh, on top of that, it was heartening, I think, for Raider fans to see how this team responded. It didn't curl up in a ball. It didn't go into a shell. It came out and, and, and uh, showed exactly the talent that it has in a tough situation on the road against a divisional opponent in a tough stadium to play. So um, the positive there is they, they use the emotions in a positive light. Now I think the question is how do they maintain that emotional high without burning themselves out with it? But again, I think it comes at a great time because now they get to come home, play a very beatable Eagles team, and then the bye to get themselves right and get ready to look forward. Because to a man, everyone in that locker room, or at least when they came to the podium, said the thing that keeps them going is that uh, their goals are still in front of them. Because usually when an interim coach situation happens, it's at the end of a lost season. It's not a lost season by any stretch, at least not yet. Paul Gutierrez is our guest. So before we get to the Eagles, I want to talk about the league perspective on the emails getting leaked, their initial denial, where we're at now, considering the Raiders were affected even more so than the Washington football team and every other team around the NFL. And it's been, you know, a few days since every morning show, every pregame show reported on the 650,000 emails and how it took out Gruden, rightfully so, for his mistakes and what he wrote down. And the Raider organization had to deal with that. Where does the story go next, in your opinion? Where does it go or where should it go? Yeah, where because should it go? What, what, what could happen? Yeah, the denial isn't just a river in Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting that out of all of those emails, those are the only ones that were offensive to anybody. I got a hard, hard, hard time believing that. Um, but, you know, that's not my job. My job is to try to get to the truth and figure things out and, and talk to people. And, you know, when I did speak to Mark Davis last, uh, last week, um, you know, his only comment to me was, I have no comment. Ask the NFL. They've got all the answers. That, to me, speaks volumes. Because while a lot of national talking heads who've never met Mark Davis or talked to him took a lot of shots, call him a coward, say he needs to speak up, 
to me, knowing the nuance that's involved with Mark Davis, you know what he was saying, right? I mean, he, he put it out there. There it is. Um, there are numerous, many, many conspiracy theories that would make Oliver Stone's head spin in terms of why this was a hit job on John Gruden and the Raiders, how this potentially hobbled Mark Davis in a new market with a new stadium, who benefits, who knew, when, how, why. I had a colleague of mine in the industry tell me that this was JFK riding into Dealey Plaza. It was a turkey shoot. There was no way Gruden could be allowed to escape alive the way these emails dropped out. That's not to defend John Gruden. As you said, what happened happened. He paid the price, and probably rightfully so. But it's just bizarre. And and why Washington continues to kind of skate, other than a, a monetary fine, I have a really, really hard time believing that John Gruden was the only one saying untoward things and unfavorable things towards people that didn't look like him or acted like him or believed in the same things that he did. It's uh, it's the tip of the iceberg, and, and we'll see exactly where it goes. That's where I think it should go. I think you got to, you know, go go to the bottom of it. And, and again, to quote JFK, the movie, Kevin Costner, let justice be done, though the heavens may fall. Something like that. Paul Gutierrez, yeah, and one more thing on this, NFL media, ESPN's a partner, I know how honest your reporting is, and you're, you're covering the Raiders, but I look at the rest of the national media on this, and I just don't think they have the patience or the stomach to follow the story to the next level. There's only going to be a handful of reporters who are able to go to the next level on this and keep digging, because isn't it true that the NFL could just wait everybody out and just say, unless there's a lawsuit or they're in front of Congress or they have to talk about this, they can just wait everybody out and say like they did with Spygate, which was different. Deflategate was the federal court. They can just say, hey, we closed up and we buttoned up the Washington football team investigation. We said our piece. We're moving on. And as, as, as a wise man once said, right, I mean, they've got more money to throw at this than anybody to yes. just kind of, you know, make it go away, so to speak. I'm not taking sides. I'm just observing and looking and seeing mm-hmm. exactly what's going on. Something doesn't smell right. Something doesn't feel right. You know there's more to it. And to me, the, the most kind of interesting thing here, if not the most damning thing, is that when, you know, Washington's case was heard, so to speak, back in July, there were no written notes. This was all an oral report. Why is that? You know, yeah, uh, yeah. because there's no there's no need for a paper trail. I don't know. But you're right. I mean, there's a, the lawyers that are representing the women uh, that are alleging the harassment in Washington. They want everything released. The NFLPA wants everything released. So it's, it's again, we're back in this hurry up and wait situation. And who's got more, uh, you know, more of the moral turpitude, I guess, so to speak, and the finances mm-hmm. to sit back and just let it play out. It's going to be interesting. But I think anybody that's got a lick of common sense knows. It wasn't just John Gruden. He was a sacrificial lamb, but you can't defend what he did either. Absolutely. Paul, as we look ahead to the Eagles, it reminds me and a lot of our listeners of the Chicago game. Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, period. Guys who can't throw or they can throw, but they're going to run when the pocket breaks down. That's going to be their young quarterback natural instinct. What leads you to believe that the Raiders are better now, especially at the linebacker position, to drop what they're doing and get to the quarterback and get them to the ground. That's how I see Philly staying in the game if they're able to do it. you got to look at what they did against uh, the Bears and look at what they did against the Broncos. Two totally different kind of schemes, uh, the way that Gus Bradley was able to scheme things up. you know, you got Max Crosby playing at a league defensive player of the year type level right now. And, and if you can get home with only four guys, that's going to allow coverage to, to break things down downfield. Down, uh, down and, and again, it, it's as, a tale as old as the NFL. Coverage helps, uh, helps uh, sacks, sacks help 
coverage and interceptions. So if they're able to get home with only four guys and not have to dial up all these exotic blitzes, which is going to leave, leave guys open, that's what you saw with the Bears. Uh, he was able to, you know, he took a lot of shots, but he was able to stand there, stand tall, and deliver the ball downfield. Uh, the Raiders got to get home with only four, and then I think that's where the game kind of turns. That's exactly what we saw in Denver with uh, the whooping that the defensive line put on Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Jalen Hurts, probably a little more athletic, a little bigger guy, sturdier. Um, we'll see exactly what they come up with. But, again, to me, and this goes back to the DNA of the Raiders, JT, if you can get home with just the front three or front four, that makes everything else in the back even better. And it also helps when you had Lester Hayes and Mike Haynes at the corners. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you do with what you got to do. Paul, last one, Derek Carr, put in perspective what this week was like for him. The performance was outstanding. I mean, one of the all-time great performances in Raider history for limited completions, but maximum yards coming off what I thought were great leadership qualities with his captain speech after the Gruden resignation. I mean, what an emotional week where Carr came out on top. That was the biggest question heading in. And, and, well, let me just start with this. That was the most impressive performance that I've seen, Derek, and I've been covering this team since his rookie season. Took a couple of years ago to cover the Niners, but we won't talk about that. But, you know, I, and I've seen him. I've been around him. I, I've seen the things that he's done. 2016, he's playing at a league MVP level. This was the most impressive performance, in my opinion, not only because of what he accomplished on the field, but what he had to compartmentalize. He is hurt. He is hurt deeply. Uh, Wednesday, he was great at the podium when he talked about the, the personal emotions he's feeling with, with John Gruden, not only of him not being there, but also being disappointed with what John Gruden wrote um, and hearing a different voice in the headset, he was able to put all that to the side and play one of the best statistical games of his career. That, to me, shows just how much he's grown up. Not saying that he was a child or anything before, but you did wonder. You wonder, is this, this is a moment. Is he going to curl up in a ball mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and uh, let things kind of overtake him, or is he going to ride this wave of emotions? And you saw him out there acting like a world-class surfer, doing everything, staying in the pocket, letting his receivers downfield make plays with Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, threading the needle even to Kenyon Drake running down the sideline. So a lot of that is the trust that he has in those guys, and a lot of it is that he's just kind of got not necessarily a laissez-faire, uh, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen, but he's also that much more comfortable in his own skin that he's able to just go out there, let it air out. Again, we got to see if it continues. Does he continue to ride this rave of, of emotion um, and step forward? I don't see why he wouldn't. He did it last week. Absolutely. Thank you, Paul. I'll see you Sunday at the stadium. Thank you. Sounds good, JT. Take care. That was really good. Paul Gutierrez, man, he had a lot of information there. Fantastic from ESPN, ESPN.com. We appreciate him coming on every two weeks. As I fly to Benjamin Brown, who's kind enough to join us, he's the betting and data analyst for Pro Football Focus. Great time to have him on. Ben, thanks for joining us. Let's go back to last night, fourth down, Josh Allen decides to go for it. Tell me behind the analytics, the numbers, what it said was going to happen before the play, and obviously we know what happened. Buffalo loses. Yeah, I mean, we definitely liked uh, them being aggressive in that situation, going for it, going for the win. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed uh, based on that coin flip coming out, coming up at overtime if they do kick the field goal. So I don't mind the aggressive play. I think, obviously, maybe you don't want to necessarily have Josh Allen sneak it there. Of course, he is quite the dynamic runner as well. But all of our modeling things do think going for it in that situation, definitely the best approach if you want to improve your win probability model, which is what the Bills did. Unfortunately, uh, that's just the way that things break. They obviously, you know, Josh Allen went directly into the strength 
um, of the Titans defense. So if he would have gone a little bit to the right of his knee, he probably would have easily slid in there, but he also slipped a little bit. So it was kind of just an unfortunate event, but still the correct decision, even though the outcome wasn't necessarily uh, what they hoped for. Yeah, I agree with you. Ben Brown's our guest, pro football focus. You go for that every time. The only concern I have going forward is do you go up the middle with the sneak or do you try to go off tackle or do you try to run on the outside to make a play that way? How does that show up in the model? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, like if you had a guy like Lamar Jackson, obviously giving him more of like, uh, you know, an option to potentially keep it or pitch it back out to a wider, you know, sweep motion from the halfback, I think is definitely a justifiable play. If you have Devin Singletary in there, I think that's the uh, best approach. But just based on where they were lined up, uh, going off tackle and a little bit toward the left there seemed to be not the most ideal situation if you really only need one yard. So I think they should have gone over the right guard a little bit. That was more of an open hole. I do think Josh Allen probably should have um, at least check to that situation, kind of give him that option mm-hmm. at the line of scrimmage for where he wants to direct that. But uh, so unfortunately, I think he would have made it either way. Uh, unfortunately, he just slipped a little bit, and it didn't necessarily work out. Hey ben, I'm just fascinated on how every sharp and every gambler I know, at least, or see on social media, never wants to see a team punt. They always want to see a team go for it. What is your general consensus about when not to punt, when to go for it? Is it a model on the field? Is it about the strength of that team on fourth down? Is it a whole bunch of numbers? Or is it just a fact, hey, if you get it across the other side of the 50 and it's fourth down, go for it? Right, exactly. I think it's that is like a general heuristic that you can live with. Basically, anytime you get across the 50-yard line, you should be going for it in basically all situations where it's like, fourth and eight or less, just based on the fact of how likely it is that you're going to punt it into the end zone. You're only gaining uh, roughly 15 yards of, you know, defensive cushion. And we see that the majority of sustainable offensive drives or drives that are successful and in the touchdown have some of those explosive play situations where a guy, uh, rush or a pass is going to go over 15 yards. So, uh, you know, gaining, giving the offense an extra 15, making the offense work next 15 yards isn't really all that uh, conducive to whether they're going to have a success, successful offensive drive or not. So punting in those situations where you've already crossed over the 50 uh, just doesn't improve your win probability whatsoever. Even if you are, you know, less than a 30 or 20% chance of getting that longer fourth down conversion, there still is a number of reasons why going for it. Now, again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say you should be going for it on fourth and five on the, mm-hmm. you know, your own 20 yard line or something like that. Like, you know, maybe some people would, there are definitely situations uh, to punt and it's not always just, being the most aggressive as the analytically sound uh, option. I do mm-hmm. think that there are, um, you know, a number of scenarios where, uh, you know, maybe taking your foot off the gas is actually the best analytical approach. It's just those times aren't obviously all that talked about or even thought through in a lot of those situations. Ben Brown's our guest, betting and data analyst for Pro Football Focus, host of the PFF Daily Betting Podcast. So let's talk about gambling here with your running back. You see Derrick Henry, who's a feature back and can carry any load and run people over. Then you see a two-back set like in Dallas with Pollard and Zeke Elliott. What does the analysis tell you here of some of these running backs and how certain teams lean on them in this video game era that we're living in, in the passing game, where a lot of teams don't want to hand it off on third and short. They're more comfortable in the passing game. Right, definitely. I mean, and I think Derek Derek Henry is definitely an outlier mm-hmm. right now just based on how effective he has been rushing the football and, and, and his ability to stay healthy, right? He's basically missed one game in the last four years. Nothing really seems to phase him. So he's almost like in an outlier category where we see with some of these elite level running back or elite level quarterbacks, kind of not necessarily he, he doesn't matter that much, but he is um, like performing at an exceptionally high rate. 
Um, but on the other side of it, I do think there is more um, benefits to having more of a two-back rotation, especially if you have a guy that is more effective in the passing game. Some of those shorter um, throws are a lot more successful than simply handing the ball off. So if you can get a guy in space like Tony Pollard, uh, the Cowboys have had a lot of success with that. And I do think that's kind of you know the element that the Raiders are, uh, are experimenting with a little bit this year. Of course, they signed Kenyon Drake mm-hmm. in the offseason to maybe compliment Josh Jacobs a little bit. Josh Jacobs hasn't necessarily been the best pass catcher. Uh, and we saw Kenyon Drake make a really nice wheel route catch for a touchdown to go into halftime to kind of you know solidify the Raiders as being really successful here uh, in their Week Six games. So I think you definitely want to lean more toward a pass catching back as often as you can. I do think it opens up things for you, and I think um, just with rushing the football, so much of that is conducive to your offensive line blocking correctly. So um, you don't really need um, you know a really ex. ex- um, you know, positive player in that running back position if, you know, your offense line is blocking productively. Ben Brown joins us as we wrap it up from Pro Football Focus. What are you seeing with the 49ers and the decision Kyle Shanahan has to make now? Garoppolo, where they are on the schedule with keeping him healthy, getting him back, and then Trey Lance and his inability yet to understand any type of playbook. He barely played in college and how that's affecting the spread and what's what Kyle Shanahan has to deal with. How complex... Is it for the Niners now early in this season to dig out of this hole? Yeah, I mean they they we basically have them twelfth overall in our in our uh, you know offensive rankings. Jimmy Garoppolo is basically worth like one point five points above a replacement level player to the spread. So we don't really see you know them improving a whole lot uh, mm-hmm. moving back to Jimmy Garoppolo from Trey Lance. Unfortunately, I do still think there is a little bit of an upside element with Trey Lance that they're just not going to be able to capture with Jimmy Garoppolo in that quarterback. Um, but unfortunately, like you said, Trey Lance just looks a little bit too inexperienced right now. They have, you know, a really tough division. They get a little bit softer with, you know, the Seahawks losing Russell Wilson, but it is still by far the toughest division in the NFL. So I, we put them right, roughly right around like a 29, 30% chance of making the playoffs. So I don't really love uh, their long-term, long-term outlook uh, right now, unfortunately. They still have, you know, games against mm. Rams, Cardinals are coming up in two weeks. They have to win uh, basically this next week on Sunday Night Football against the Indianapolis Colts, and they have to win against the Bears if they want any sort of shot, I think, of making the playoffs here. Hey, finally, does it look like Cleveland's season's on the brink with all these injuries? Should they shut it down and get Baker healthy or where the schedule is or let them play through this because they got a bunch of injuries they're fighting through? Yeah, they have tons of injuries. I, I think they're like the third most injured team based on some of the metrics that we look at behind the scenes as far as, like, how much they've lost against our wins above replacement metric. Uh, they have to win, you know, here on Thursday night against Denver as three-point favorites. I think that's basically a must-win spot. And then they have, you know, not necessarily a really difficult schedule. I do think they have winnable games against the Steelers. And then they have to travel to Cincinnati. I think if they can win in Cincinnati that week, they're going to be on their way to at least getting one of those AFC wildcard spots. So um, I'm not I'm not ready to pull the plug on them yet. I do still buy into Kevin Stefanski. Uh, being successful in that offensive environment. Of course, they need to get um, you know receivers back and healthy. Jarvis Landry's been out a long time, but Donovan Peoples-Jones has popped off a little bit. So I think um, you know maybe we see them be more productive again with a uh, running back that maybe people don't necessarily expect to be all that productive, but um, you know they should be able to turn it around here a little bit. And I do expect them to probably be in the AFC playoff picture here when the, when the season wraps up. Ben, last one. I ask all my betting analysts the same question. How difficult is it to make money gambling on football? 
I mean, you you I mean, crunch the numbers. You're a data analyst. I got I got guys and gals listening who just think they can pop into a sports book with 200 bucks in their pocket and walk out with 600 and pay for all their drinks. How difficult is it to make money week to week betting football? It's really difficult, right? There's so many swings uh, getting involved. You need to be betting early lines. I mean, I basically bet all my games present totals here. Uh, um, look ahead lines and then early yesterday, Monday morning. So it's a thing that you have to be on right away. You have to be willing to be able to hedge your bets correctly, get some in-game you know, spreads that are going to open up some middles for you in those sorts of situations. Then you got to be willing to pound some of these you know, ulterior markets, the derivative markets, first half spreads, first mm-hmm. half totals, team totals, player props. I mean, there's a, a number of ways that books can price inefficient numbers on a number of markets, and you just need to be able to develop an eye for it and take advantage of it as much as you can. So um, it is it is definitely a grind, though. It's not as glamorous, I think, as anybody makes note to be, but uh, it's, it's, if you're chosen for it, then it's what you love and that's what you got to do. So that's how it is. Thank you, Ben. Good talking to you. We'll do it again. Thanks a lot. Thanks, JT. Have a good show. You do. I appreciate you, Ben Brown. You know what he said at the end, which was great? The first guy I heard say this in a long time. It's not glamorous. Betting on football is not glamorous. The guys who do it well, you know, the circuit contest, the Westgate, I mean, the Sharps, my buddies won that contest. San Sushi, my buddies won the Westgate contest. And what they did is they went in to have fun, and then they won because they put a lot of work into it, and they knew how to bet, and they knew how to do it responsibly. But the average guy who comes to Vegas every weekend to bet is giving up their money to have fun. And a lot of other people would rather swim in a pool with a woman swimming up with a $25 bottle of vodka that costs $900 because it's in the pool and there's a DJ going off and you'll, you'll take your $900 on that just to look around and get some sun and hear a DJ. Or you'd sit in a sports book for nine hours. I can't sit in a sports book for nine hours because I don't bet. Some of my friends do, and I'm amazed by it. Like, hey, come on outside. Come outside for a half hour. Like, let's go in the pool. Let's, no, no, no. They want to sit in a sports book for nine hours. Only certain people can do that and be disciplined enough to make money. The rest of you guys and gals, come to Vegas. Just spend all your money. We don't care where you spend it. Pools, restaurants, steakhouses. Who am I to judge you? I don't judge anybody. God, I'm a glass house. I spend my money differently. I'm spending it on college now. Arizona State and Oklahoma. How's that going? <laughs> I should get. I should get some type of an award for those checks that are going out the door. But the kids are having fun. I told them. I said when they both went to college, have the best four years of your life because you're going to end up working. Have fun in college. And so far they're doing well and having fun. I'm having fun doing this show every day. Love it. And I got three hours of radio after this. And then we get ready all day Sunday, Raiders pre and post. We'll be live at the Torch. Have you come to the Torch yet to say hello to Eric Allen? He's a rock star. Come see us Sunday. Certainly, we, you know, obviously some key acquisitions in free agency, getting Yannick and, and um, certainly getting Q and, and Solomon, and, and they're, uh, they're a great group together, and we're just building off of what we had to some degree. But those guys have added not only a, um, a veteran dimension, but a, uh, a size and a quickness and a, a um, urgency to practice and an urgency in meetings, and they do everything right in the weight room. So I think they've given us a little bit of an identity up front of what it's supposed to look like from – 
walkthrough to meeting to practice now into the game. And uh, they feed off of each other. So I, I think it's been a, a good identity for us as we go forward on defense. JT, back with you. Rich Passaccia, new head coach of the Raiders, brought to you by Any Tires Plus. Dot com located 350 North Boulder Highway, conveniently located off the corner of Lake Mead and Boulder Highway. Why pay twenty or thirty dollars for a smog inspection when you pay only five ninety five at Any Tires Plus? Right now, get fifty dollars off any new set of Ford tires at Any Tires Plus. And to receive any of these great offers at Any Tires Plus, just mention myself, JT the Brick. And Frank and his team will get you all connected. I'm telling you, the only place to go in town for tires, any tires plus. So that's an important soundbite, I think, by Coach Basaccia about what this team is about, the character, the weight room, and all that. That's all a product of the previous coaching staff and the way this whole team was built and this coaching staff was built initially. This is hard work and dedication. This is showing up in the offseason. This is getting in the weight room and proving that you deserve to be on this team. And that's been around, it's been around here ever since the Raiders got to Vegas. This is a hard-working football team, period. Now, all teams around the league work hard. We know that. But the Raiders and their attention to detail and their off-season participation with Derek Carr and the offense and how Max Crosby has led as a leader and Yannick Ngakwe, I mean, Yannick Ngakwe came to this team like he was a lifelong Raider. He couldn't wait to get here. And he's been working hard, and I think you're starting to see it pay off here. But the thing that impresses me the most is the way that the Raiders are lined up and, and the way they're organized on defense. Last year, at times, it was a fire drill. I mean, there were games I was sitting with Eric Allen in an empty stadium, and he'd look at me, and I'd look at him and go, what? What was that? Who was running off the field and running on the field at the last second? Why weren't they lined up correctly? And then if you're not lined up correctly, good quarterbacks see it. They change the play, and they throw to the wide-open man. And we're not seeing that as much this year. There is a collection of players who are organized, knowing their role. And then I like the rotation. I like the rotation on the defensive line. We wondered in the beginning, how many defensive linemen were they going to keep? What were they going to do? Well, the weakness of the team was the pass rush, and they brought in defensive tackles in a rotation that I really think is paying off now. It's, it's paying off at a level that I think is going to help this team as they get healthier and healthier. Because that's the key to this whole season. I don't know if you agree with me, but everybody's hurt around the league. There's 17 games, and the league wants to go to 18? Really? All right. I mean, 18 games with the amount of guys who are done for the year. Christian McCaffrey. Today we found out that former Bishop Gorman star here in Vegas, Ronnie Stanley, having season-ending ankle surgery. Let me tell you something about Ronnie. Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and he, had a, he was building a young career. I'm talking Hall of Fame. I'm not talking Pro Bowl. This kid from Bishop Gorman was playing at a level early in his career where he's just going to be the one of the greats of all time. And that says a lot considering Jonathan Ogden is in this town. Okay, Jonathan Ogden is on the Mount Rushmore with Anthony Munoz and a select group of players. He's 27. He announced he'll be out for the remainder of the season after the Ravens placed him on injured reserve. He will undergo surgery, I guess, today. And we just want him to be okay. Ronnie, when I saw Ronnie play in high school, 
what a player. I mean, you just knew he was going to be a star. And then he went on to becoming a star. Quote, at this point, my ankle isn't where it should be. He said in a statement, this is the best decision, not only for my health, but also for the long term. I look forward to supporting my team from the sideline this season and coming back fully healthy in 2022. It's a big loss. I mean, the injuries in this league, if you go down, I like this three-week injured reserve considering you could be out the whole year. I think having other players come back make a lot of sense here. But, you know, it's attrition this year. Wow. And, and the Raiders are finally getting healthier. I've been, I've been talking about injuries all year long, right, wanting desperately for Richie Incognito to come back, wanting for Nicholas Morrow to come back. You know, you get a few injuries here and there. But it's just nice to look at the schedule and look at the, you know, look at the injuries all week and see the injury report and seeing more and more guys being able to play and knock on wood because I'm knocking on a lot of wood in this studio here. There are still COVID concerns around the league. Look what happened to Arizona. They lost their head coach and Chandler Jones last week and they won. Thursday night football, Broncos and the Browns. Who do you want to win? You would say, you would say Browns, obviously, because the Broncos in the AFC West, if the Broncos win that game, they get a really big break with all the Browns hurt. If the Broncos win, they go to four and three. Okay? Broncos aren't very good, but they have a chance to go to four and three, and they're fighting for Vic Fangio's job because the Wolves are at the door in Denver. The other big games are going to be Chiefs-Titans after the Titans just beat Buffalo. That's going to be a hell of a game. Uh, another game that I think is going to be really good to see, Bengals and Ravens. Bengals are four and two. If they beat the Ravens, they're five and two, and they have the tiebreaker over the Ravens. Uh, we've been talking about the other big game, Lions and Rams, not because the Lions are any good, but Goff's going back to L.A., and they are kicking Goff hard in Detroit. Even his coach doesn't believe in him. Uh, Bears are at the Buccaneers. Colts are at the 49ers. Both of those teams only have two wins. And Monday night is Saints at Seahawks without Russell Wilson. We got a big game here in Vegas because when Vegas is hosting at Allegiant Stadium, it's huge. Thanks to Tom Flores, Paul Gutierrez, Benjamin Brown. How about this show today? Jeff Sherman from over at the Westgate. Feel good about that. Remember, go to Grimaldi's, five locations here. Order the Brooklyn Bridge Pizza. Have a great time. We'll be giving away Grimaldi's gift cards, 50 bucks tomorrow. So stick around. Hopefully we get a couple of callers later in the show. No, no one napping on their lunch break. No one napping coming into queue. Who's coming up next? And then Vinny Bonsignor. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio.